Today is um, week four of this, this journey we're taking through Jesus' Bible. We're wrapping up the in the beginning movement of looking at Genesis 1 and 2, and there's this vision that God portrays and paints out for the future. And what we're going to do today is we're going to circle actually back into Genesis 1, and we're going to highlight in three verses because they are just so absolutely essential to the entire Old Testament and the entire um, biblical trajectory, okay? I'm going to invite you to get on your feet, and I want to invite you to say these words from Genesis 1, 26 to 28, along with me. It's the sixth day of creation, and after God has created everything else, this is what he says. Say it with me. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Go ahead and have a seat. These three verses here are what Genesis is all about. And these three verses here are what the entire biblical trajectory is built on. So that means understanding these three verses here is a key or a gate, if you will, to understanding what the Bible in large part is about. Now, if you were to sift through this passage, you could start to extract things, extract various principles, if you will, or or, or focus points. And specifically, there's four of them I'd like to walk you through. The first is this, that when God makes humanity... He says, in our image, in our likeness. God talking about himself, about the Godhead. God saying, in my image, in our image, this Trinitarian Godhead. Male and female, he created them. Which means you and I are formed different than anything else. Male and female, we are the image of God. Number two, God blessed them. Don't rush that. It says something in a very succinct way that's actually very powerful. It speaks to what God is like. It speaks to something he is going to do again and again. It speaks to his nature and the nature of the relationship he wants to have with you. He blessed them. And then it follows up with two mandates. It says that, uh, lose control here, there it is. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. He doesn't tell it to mosquitoes. He doesn't tell it to ticks. He tells it to people. You go fill the earth. And it caps off, if you will, with this. And God said, let them rule. Let them rule. Subdue it. Rule. Over what? The entire earth. So within this three-verse package, you have not only this, this mandate by God, but what you get is a picture of humanity. Humanity is God 
intended it, and something very central to what it means to be human, your purpose for being. And you could sum it up like this, that you are someone in the image of God who is blessed by God with a mandate to increase in number and fill the earth, a mandate to subdue it and rule it. This idea here from Genesis 1 echoes, shapes, and forms the entire biblical narrative. So, if you were to start going in, you would find quickly that the Israelites, deep within their laws, were just diametrically opposed to any kind of what they would call idolatry or image-making. This is from the Ten Commandments. Depending on how you count them, it's commandment one or two. This is what it says. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven um, above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Okay, first off, you see the word idol, right? Idol, image, icon, it's, it's different English translations of the same word. So an idol is an image, is an icon. It's all the same thing. And what's important to know that in the ancient Near East, in the time of the ancient Israelites, um, an idol wasn't a god. A lot of people get this idea, you see these old movies and things like this, where people are treating the god like the idol, and, and superstition lends that, but an idol is not a god. An idol is a representation of a god. And there is a significant difference there. Yet at the same time, an idol is not just a picture. It's not just a symbol. The best way I could think to communicate about this is to say that an idol was sacramental. And what I mean by that is an idol was something more than just, okay, here's a cool image to remind me. It was like, here is something that a god works through. It was, it was a conduit. It was something that a God would come to people through and operate through and exercise his power through. And deeply embedded within Israelite thinking was this idea, no idols. Now, if you read this, it makes it sound at one level as though it's prohibiting against bowing down to other gods, right? Except for Israel, they read this equally to apply to the one true God, or Yahweh himself. So not only are you not supposed to make images to other gods and bow down and worship them, don't make an image of the one true God either. And you can read stories about how Israel would butch this, how they would screw it up. But it seemed that within the fabric of this, there was this idea that if somehow you were to make some kind of visible or tangible representation of God, you would risk defining him. And by defining him, you would limit him. And by limiting him, you would distort him so that any image you would make would ultimately be like half-baked. You know, it would be a distortion and a limitation of who God truly is. Make sense? But there seemed to be something even deeper, and it echoes back to Genesis 1, that no image that we could ever make, no idol that we could ever construct could adequately convey or carry forward God's 
power and authority through the world. And that's because there is only one image or one idol that can. You know who that is? You. According to Genesis, you are the image of God. If you understand it correctly, as I just explained it, you are the idol of God. Now, that might pass us by in the night without much notice, but guys, you've got to realize how absolutely countercultural and revolutionary this thinking was and how countercultural the Bible is. You can read all the other ancient Near East myths, and you will find that humans are never made in the image of God. You know who's made in the image of God? Other gods. Gods are made in the image of gods. Humans are the God's cattle. We're, we're chattel. Uh, slaves. Workforce so the gods could take their rest in their temples. And Genesis comes along and turns it on its head. There is actually one exception to this. Um, kings and pharaohs would be said to be made in the images of God or to reflect the images of God as well because kings and pharaohs had a taste or a bit of the authority and power and strength that a God was said to exercise. But Genesis takes all of this. It turns it on its head and it says, wait a minute, you are the image of God. Which means the next time someone comes up to you and goes, I'm a princess, you go, awesome, I am too. Unless you're a guy, then it's weird. But, you know, it's cliche to hear people talk like that. But, you know, the cliche is actually true. You are princes and princesses in the kingdom. And it's not to replace or usurp God. It's more like Joseph in Egypt. You you know, there's Pharaoh and there's Joseph second in command, ruling the kingdom under his authority and by his stead, taking care of the details. And God says from Genesis 1, that is my dream. That is my dream for you. To subdue the world and rule it. To multiply and fill, bringing my authority and image forward to every corner of the globe. And we fail. We mess this up. And coming to terms with that is, honestly, it's absolutely central to understanding the image of Jesus and the identity of Jesus and who Jesus is as a new Adam who's come to restore and redeem that which we have failed 
at. You can look through the New Testament and you'll see how the writers pick up on this. Let me show you this passage that comes out of, out of Romans. And just look at how the author picks up on this, this contrast between Jesus and Adam, between humanity and new humanity, if you will. He says, sin entered the world through one man, Adam, who was a pattern of one to come. You'll, you'll find this other places too, they pick up on it, where, where, where Paul will talk about how since death came through a man, Adam, resurrection also comes from a man, aka Jesus, for as an Adam all dies, so in Christ all will be made alive. It's like central to this idea of Jesus that the New Testament writers seek to come forward on is that where humanity messed up their mandate, Jesus has come as the perfect human the true Adam, the true image bearer of God that we have vandalized and marred and destroyed to accomplish what we were to accomplish back in Genesis 1. Is this clicking? And this is huge to understanding what Jesus is about. I mean, Jesus' favorite you know, designation for himself, do you know what it is? It's not Christ. It's not Messiah. It's not Lord It's not Savior. Jesus, more often than any other title, calls himself this. Son of man. And when he says man, it may be better to translate son of human, son of humanity, child of humanity. It's like Jesus saying, I am the true image of what a human is supposed to be. And by looking at me as a true image of what a human is supposed to be, you start to see the true image of who God happens to be. Because humanity is called to be the image bearer of God. And this is why the New Testament writers will take this, and they'll start saying stuff about Jesus that mirrors this Genesis 1 mandate about humanity. There's this place in Colossians where it says, Jesus is the idol of God, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, for by him all things were created. Now, isn't it interesting if you keep reading through this, the focus goes not so much on the image anymore, but what the image is supposed to do? Whether thrones or powers or rulers, authorities, what? They're under my rule, my control, my creation. It's why you come to Philippians. And those of you who know this passage and know it well, it will suddenly start to click, where it says your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself what? A human. And he lowered himself. And he took on humility, even to the point of a cross. And it says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Because at the name of Jesus, the one true human, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And what Jesus does is he comes down to to restore and redeem the mess that we have made 
of this mandate that God has given to bear his image and to fill the earth and to subdue and to rule it. And he comes down to be that true human. He goes, this is what it looks like. This is how it's done. This is how it's fixed right here in me. And what's incredible is he doesn't stop there. He comes right back out of it and he comes back to humanity. He comes back to you and me. And he goes, remember Genesis 1? Now embrace it. Because I haven't come to repeal it. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish but fulfill. God comes back and he reestablishes that rightful place, that mandate, that, that hunger and desire God always had for humanity to be. Which means God looks at you and he says, bring my image to the four corners of this globe. You are my image bearer. Bring my image through this globe. In the ancient Near East, when when kings would want to establish their authority in some new place, they would erect a statue, an idol of themselves, to be a sign that this is the picture of who rules here. This is the exercise of authority here. It's kind of like you see with dictators, right? Throughout the world, setting up their statues or, or, or even, you know, with pictures of presidents in government buildings today. It's all the same thing. This is who's in control. And Jesus says to you, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And he says to you, subdue it. Rule. Take this garden and develop it. Take this guard, garden and build on it and, and make it something amazing and beautiful. Take my kingdom and my goodness and make it the operating word in every corner of this globe, which means that everything you do, everything you do to better this world, everything you do to better someone's life, everything you do to bring God's goodness in this world is a mandate by God of bringing his rule, to bring sanitation to those who live in filth, to bring heat or clean water to those who are suffering from a broken world, to fight disease wherever it may lurk, to stand up against oppression and that which is wrong and evil in this world, to enforce just laws, to work against those that are not, It's all an exercise of ruling that the things that you have found to do in your life, the things that make you you, the things that you're good at, you're called to, to take those and hear behind it a mandate of God saying, bring it forth, image bearer. Bring it forth to the ends of the world. Bring my kingdom forth. It is this picture 
that the rest of the Bible builds upon. It is not just what Genesis is about. It is what the trajectory of history and destiny in God's vision is about. Setting up people like you to become people like him. And wherever there's darkness or suffering, wherever there's pain or evil, wherever there's fear or anything else spawned by the pit of hell, say, I've got a mandate by God to subdue it, to rule it, and bring God's image forth. So image bearers, would you get on your feet and would you read together one more time your mandate by God along with me? God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So God, we come together today probably to remember or to discover that which you've called us to. God, may we bear your image. May we not distort it or mar it in this world. May we never be guilty, God, of causing others to view you wrongly by how they see us. God, forgive us when we do. Thank you for sending your son, the image bearer, to not only restore, but to lead. So God, I pray that you help everyone here to see that they have a purpose to bring your image into this world and to bring your rule of your kingdom to every corner of it. God, we pray for those who are fighting against illness and sickness and injury and disease in this world. That you give them minds that are sharp. They'd give them determination when test after test fails again and again to crush the diseases of this world under their boot. As you crush the head of, the sat- uh, head of Satan under yours. God, we pray for uh, Riley Mogan, this eighth grade girl who's second round cancer and in the hospital again. Restorer, God, let your kingdom come forth. And for everyone else here who's touched by cancer, that you would crush this disease. 
that you'd exercise your authority either through us or even in despite of us. God, we pray for just the mess of violence and persecution throughout the world. We pray for our brothers and sisters in the Middle East who are losing heads and limbs and lives and homes because they bear your name. Protect them, God, from the forces of of people who have distorted your image so badly. Let your kingdom come. Teach us, God, what it means to go forth bringing your mercy but also your justice, your truth and your strength and your goodness to those in harm's way. God, we pray for your churches here in our community, Michigan, around this country and around this world. God, may there be lights in the darkness and uh, let the pockets of people who gather see these places not so much as a a refuge to hide but a training camp a base camp from which they can go out to bring your mandate forth so hear our prayer God move us in this may we take it seriously in your name we pray Amen. Say these words of Jesus with me from Matthew chapter 5. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven.